0: Hey folks, Brian Salvatore here, host of Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. We had promised that this week was going to be a week of switcheroos. We are going to have different hosts on different shows, and we are not abandoning that idea. We're just postponing it a bit because this week we had a number of Uh, Conflicts that could not be resolved. So, next week you'll be having all the wacky shows with different hosts everywhere. This week is a fairly standard week of Mason Avenue audio, which is to say, still a really fun week. So, enjoy all these shows and tune in next week for the zaniness. Thanks. And welcome one more time to Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded Mets in our beloved franchise's quirky, ever-adventurous history, as every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, Unformidable to all of us Met fans. So it is All-Star Week, partial week, whatever, getting ready to watch Polar Bear Pete go into the home run contest, Home Run Derby. I can't believe there's an actual Met who I almost expect or think has a legitimate chance to win the Home Run Derby. That is quite unprecedented. I know David Wright had that wonderful run in 2006, but never really thought of him as the Home Run Derby champ type. And frankly, I don't really give much of a crap about the Home Run Derby, so I don't even know why I'm going off on this digression. But it's the only baseball we have today, so let's go, Pete. Now, maybe you'd think that All-Star and Less Heralded, as is the raison d'etre of this podcast, are essentially oxymorons, but lest we forget, every team is required to have an All-Star representative each year, and these are the oft-flailing, often-too-often-no-star New York Mets. Yeah, I was going through the Mets' uh, history of All-Star selections, and... You know, some years, uh, even if the player was less than a clear-cut all-star, the name is incredibly familiar. I thought probably too familiar for a podcast such as this. Uh, for a recent example, Daniel Murphy was the Mets loan all-star in 2014. It's, you know, he had a good year, but probably wouldn't have made it that year. I don't think if the... Mets didn't need to have a representative. And if you look at basically every pre-seaver season from 62 to 66, uh, Ron Hunt aside, apologies to Ron Hunt, who, you know, the deserving All-Star in 64 and 66. Um, you have uh, Richie Ashburn in 1962, Duke Snyder in 1963, Ed Cranepool in 1965. Lovely player, fine players, well, particularly the first two uh, had n- numerous. Legitimate all-star births, but probably didn't deserve it in 62 or 63. Uh, certainly Ed Cranepool, all felt like kind of token uh, representatives, but again, players who are well-known in baseball history, or perhaps in Ed Cranepool's case more so in Mets history. But looking at the 1977 to 1983 years, often considered one of the darkest periods in Mets history. <laughs> Boy, that's saying something, isn't it? You, uh, The Mets sent more than one representative to the All-Star Game only once in, in those six, seven, however many years that period is. <laughs> seven, right? Uh, sent more than one representative only once in 1979 when Lee Mazzilli made his only All-Star appearance and joined four-time All-Star John Stearns and got robbed of the All-Star Game MVP in the first All-Star Game I vaguely remember, but I digress. Uh, Lee uh, Maz, of course, was the face of the Moribund franchise then, but actually wasn't my favorite player as a very young kid. I went to my first game in 1979. My cousins all were in love with Lee Mazzilli, and I think I just had to be a little different. So I remember taking a a liking to my first favorite Met, uh, another outfielder. Frankly, I had an even better 1979 than the matinee idol Maz, but uh, someone who made a you know, with with Maz and Stearns, uh, another player who made a really stupid five-year-old think that good times for the Mets might just be around the corner, and that is Joel Youngblood. Joel Youngblood was drafted in the second round of the draft in 1970 by the Cincinnati Reds, and actually made his MLB debut on a team that is often placed in the conversation as uh One of the greatest of all time, the 1976 Cincinnati Red, Big Red Machine team. He was a pinch hitter and defensive replacement, appearing in 55 games, garnering only 60 at-bats, batting 193. And he actually made his only career appearance at catcher, which is interesting because Youngblood was kind of a precursor to the super subs in certain ways where he really played all around the diamond. He, I, I actually I did, a, tried to do a ton of research on this and I could not figure out if Jill Youngblood was on the Reds postseason roster and has a World Series ring. Uh, if someone knows that, I'd I'd love to know. The Reds swept through that postseason, uh, sweeping the Phillies in the LCS in three, the Yankees in the World Series in four, and frankly rarely used their bench players. I mean, I guess it's a, a note of how dominant that team was. He, If he was on the roster, he did not appear in the postseason. Anyway, perhaps not seeing a spot for Youngblood in the George Foster, Cesar Geronimo, Ken Griffey Sr. outfield, the back-to-back defending champions traded him just prior to the start of the 1977 season for pitching prospect Bill Claudil. The then 25-year-old Youngblood spent all of 25 games there in St. Louis before the Cardinals traded him to the Mets on June 15th, 1977, for Mike Phillips. That The, the trade for Joel Youngblood might have gone a little bit under the radar that day, as you might be aware of a couple of other more notable moves the Mets made that day, trading slugger Dave Kingman and, oh, by the way, franchise icon Tom Seaver in what is more commonly known as the Midnight Massacre. Unlike the horrific Seaver trade and the kind of uh, non-eventful, not-useful Kingman trade, the Joel Youngblood trade was one that would actually work out kind of decently for the Mets, as Youngblood took his place on the Mets' active roster, and player manager Joe Torre retired for uh, Youngblood's place to open up the place on the roster for Youngblood, becoming just manager. And Youngblood would go on to spend several solid years with the organization, and making that one aforementioned All-Star appearance in 1981, uh, not 1979, when he probably had his best season. And we'll we'll discuss that. And, of course, we'll also discuss the most notable, well, maybe footnotable might be more appropriate, but hey, I have a baseball card commemorating it. Uh, The most memorable but cool baseball event of Jill Youngblood's life, which, of course, is tied to his departure from the New York Mets. But before we get to that, Let's just look at his beginnings with the Mets when Youngblood was a basically a part-time player in 77 and 78. Uh, he appeared in 70 games and got 182 at-bats after the trade in 77, 113 games and 266 at-bats in 78, primarily splitting time between second, third, and the outfield while the Mets uh Playing someone around the diamond. How odd. He's definitely at his best in the outfield. He had uh, what Bob Murphy described as a howitzer for an arm. Uh, his defensive numbers as an outfielder were excellent. Uh, the defensive metrics for him as an infielder are much less kind. But uh, in 1979, his uh, age 27 season, that fabled uh, best season for many players, which it really was for Youngblood, he was a regular, still... Uh, Appearing sporadically in the infield, but mostly in left and right field, where he uh, recorded 18 assists uh, in 1979, 18 outfield assists, excuse me, and that's a number he would actually equal in 1980. And that's not even being a complete 150 games in the outfield kind of guy. You know, he, he as I said, he'd get 10, 15 games a year at second and third, uh, filling in for injured players and so forth, or just filling the nets. Omnipresent hole at third base didn't look like Youngblood would be a regular in '79. I, I get the impression the Mets always viewed him in that super sub kind of role. I mean, nowadays I think the Zobristian has replaced super sub and it has made people appear more valuable. But at that time, it, I think it was looked at as more of a detriment or you know more of a pejorative for the player's career. But when Elliot Maddox got hurt early in the '79 season, Youngblood kind of got an opportunity and ran with it. Uh, As a regular right fielder, he slugged 482, which, you know, I think pretty good in 79 from uh, April 15th through July 31st. And as I said, is far and away, his best season, he put up a 4.5 war that season, uh, an OPS plus of 117. He, and 79 is kind of the first season I vaguely remember watching baseball in the Mets, so you know, perhaps that's why he became one of my favorite players. But he got in 158 games, which is great for a quote-unquote super sub, hit 16 home runs, which was one off his career high. He did have a career high of 60 RBIs and 18 stolen bases against 13 caught stealings, but hey, people didn't care about you know 80% success rate back in the 70s and the 80s. And uh, you know he so again he put up a 4.5 WAR according to Baseball Reference that season, perhaps buoyed by his outfield defense. And actually tied the Met season record, season single season record, with uh, 37 doubles in 1979. And in one very personal note, uh, for 1979, he appeared in the very first Met game I ever attended. On September 23, 1979, a 7-4 defeat in 10 innings against the Cardinals, where he went 1-4 for four playing in center field and left field. And his successor, as my favorite Met, uh, one Keith Hernandez, would go 0-3 with a walk and a sacrifice fly on his way to a co-MVP award that fine baseball season. Youngblood followed up 79 with a, another solid year in 1980. He only had eight home runs and recorded a slightly above average 104 OPS plus, but uh, 2.5 B-War. Uh, again, his outfield defense rated well by the advanced metrics I looked up, and he had his 18 outfield assists once again, but he did still move around some, and in 1981, before the season, he informed still manager Torrey that he would like to play strictly in the outfield. That he was tired of the "quote-unquote" super sub label and yearned for something more. Angel Youngblood would, in fact, be an All Star. The Mets' only All Star in 1981. Never a you know huge batting average guy. Uh, Youngblood was actually leading the league in batting. Uh, I think at 350 on in 1981 before injuring his left knee sliding into third base on June 6th in Houston in the Astrodome. Youngblood was expected to miss 2 to 3 weeks, but he wouldn't play again until August 9th because no one would play again until for between June 12th and August 9th thanks to a massive baseball work stoppage. So the 81 season resumed on August 9th with the All-Star game and Youngblood then healthy and leading the league in hitting, at the time, was the Mets' sole All-Star representative, and it was his only All-Star appearance in his career. In the second inning, he pinch-hit for Fernando Valenzuela in the bottom of the second, and fouled out uh, against AL All-Star starter and undeserving Hall of Famer Jack Morris in an All-Star game in which future Met Gary Carter would be named the MVP with two home runs. Youngblood appeared in only five more games before re-injuring his knee on august 14th and would wind up missing the remainder of the season he he, he, so he finished that season with a 350 average and actually his you know best slash line uh 398 on base percentage 531 slugging 929 uh ops 165 ops plus plus. Uh, you know, incredible numbers for a career 265 hitter. And he, had he had enough plate appearances, he would have led the league in batting. Uh, Bill Madlock led the NL that year with a 341 batting average. And that would lead us to 1982, which would be Jill Youngblood's last season with the Mets. Uh, the Mets acquired George Foster in 82, and a young center fielder named Mookie Wilson was developing nicely. So there didn't seem to be room for. Youngblood to become the regular outfielder that he aspired to be. Uh, the Mets actually started 82 pretty well for, uh, for well, at least for, or by early 80s, Mets standards. They uh, At the June 15th uh, standard trade deadline, they were only five and a half games behind the Cardinals, but by early August, the Mets had fallen to fifth place, 13 and a half games off the pace. And they found themselves in Chicago at Wrigley Field in early August in what would be Jill Youngblood's last day as a Met and the day he would make baseball history. August 4th, 1982. Craig Swan slated to take the hill for the Mets against future Hall of Famer Ferguson Jenkins. Trade rumors were swirling about Jill Youngblood. Frank Cashin said, We had hoped to make the deal by game time, but there was a phone circuit problem. We couldn't complete it. Manager George Bamberger, oh god, I hated him, uh, asked me what to do with Youngblood. I told him to go ahead and start him, we'd take a chance on his getting hurt. Ah, uh, some things never change in this organization. Fascinating. Anyway, uh, the Mets were down one nothing early, but uh, the Mets scored three runs in the third inning. Lots of great names, at least by my uh, by my standards here. So, just, so Bob Baylor singled, Craig Swan... Helping his own cause. Got a base hit himself to put runners on first and 2nd Leadoff hitter Wally Backman followed with a double. put uh, RBI double. Craig Swan was on third. Back, uh, Backman on second. John Stearns walked, uh, loading the bases, bringing up Jill Youngblood, who came through with a single to plate two runs, give the Mets a 3-1 lead in a game they would win. Uh, Youngblood played the field in the bottom of the third, but when he came in... After that inning, he found out that he had been traded to the Montreal Expos in mid-game. In the bottom of the fourth inning, Mookie Wilson came out to replace Youngblood in center, and Jill Youngblood was packing up his stuff and getting a cab to go to the airport to go to Philadelphia and Veterans Stadium, where the Expos were slated to play the Phillies that night. Of course, the Mets were involved in the uh, classic Wrigley day game, since there were no lights at that point in time. In fact, according to Youngblood, he even... He made the plane reservation, went to the hotel to pack, realized he left his glove in the Mets' dugout, went back to the ballpark to get it, went to the airport, had dinner on the plane, and took a cab to Veterans Stadium. He he wanted to rush there, he wanted to get to the Expos who were kind of hanging on at the fringes of the pennant race behind the Phillies who they were playing that night, and the Cardinals. When he got to Veterans Stadium, the game was already underway, And the efficient, apparently very efficient, Montreal Expos had his new uniform waiting for him with his name stitched on the back. The Expos manager, Jim Fanning, met Youngblood in the dugout and promptly sent him to right field in the sixth inning as a defensive replacement for Jerry White. Youngblood came up in the next inning and slapped a single in his only plate appearance against another future Hall of Famer, Steve Carlton, uh, giving Youngblood two hits were two different teams on the same calendar day, the first and only time that it ever happened in baseball history. And there were so few met accomplishments or half-met accomplishments in my early life between 79 and 1982, you bet I cherished the baseball card uh, celebrating that feat of Joel Youngblood's when it came out the following year. And of course, it's a nice little cherry on top of the Sunday that he Got both of those hits against future Hall of Famers, although apparently not as surprising. In the latter case, uh, Youngblood was actually 27 for 82 with five home runs off his career in Steve Carlton, so uh, so it was actually a favorable matchup for him against Lefty. But with that abrupt and dramatic end to his Met career, Youngblood wrapped up his Met career as a 274 hitter. Uh thirty three on base percentage, four ten slugging, so seven forty two OPS, one hundred eight OPS plus. He appeared in six hundred ten games as a Met and had one thousand eight hundred and ninety-seven at bats as a member of the New York Metropolitan. Youngblood wouldn't help the Expos much hitting an even two hundred. Uh he got ninety at bats and eighteen hits, but he did get a hit in his first at bat as an expo, and as noted It was historic. Youngblood was a free agent after that 82 season, which was one of the reasons the Mets had him on the trade block. They uh, had given him a three-year, $300,000 contract in 1980, and they had no intention of re-signing him. (laughs) Go figure. Uh, He signed with the San Francisco Giants after the 82 season, where he spent the bulk of his career from 83 to 88 he had a couple of really good ye- offensive years for the Giants in 83 and 84 he hit a career-high 17 homers in 83 However, the Giants used him primarily at second and third base, where he struggled mightily, which really brought down his advanced stats and metrics. So he, he's, he did pretty well for them offensively, but uh, he was definitely a much better outfielder than infielder, uh, according to the numbers. I actually ran into Jill Youngblood not long ago at all. He was at City Field signing autographs before a Friday game against the Tigers in May. Him and Doug Flynn would be another great, unforgettable net. And uh, he, he actually, he, yeah, I, I mentioned that he was like my favorite player as a kid, and I you know, sad he left, and he, he claimed he thought of coming back in 83 as a free agent, but he thought he had a better chance at playing time with the Giants, I kind of found that hard to believe since the Mets were so bad, but I, I mean he did struggle for playing time with the Mets, so I guess he didn't want to uh, go back into that scenario again, it's, uh, but thus ended his career with the Mets. Uh, He spent 83 to 88 with the Giants, and he kind of came full circle, signing with the Cincinnati Reds in 1989 and finishing his career as he started it as a bench player for the Cincinnati Reds. Overall, according to baseball reference, uh, Youngblood recorded 10.6 career war, and 9.3 of that came with the Mets. So obviously had his best, most memorable years with the Mets. Uh, One of the players in his baseball reference similarity scores, who's noted a couple of times, is Gabe Kapler. And one other note, uh, well, Youngblood coached, never managed in the majors as of yet. Uh, I will say that having met him and seen him signing autographs, man is jacked. Joe Youngblood is still in very good shape. So he also shares that in common with Gabe Kapler, in case you are wondering. At any rate, his post-baseball life, uh, like many players, Youngblood did go into coaching, uh, coached with the Reds, brewers and orioles organizations and managed an orioles farm club in 1992 he left baseball for a bit and returned to coaching with the arizona diamondbacks in 2007 he has served as a minor league outfield and base running coordinator and was also their third base coach in for part of the 2010 season which i'm very sad that i don't remember uh maybe the mets I, I guess I missed that, or I would have been absolutely delighted. And obviously he's still, you know, had his best years with the Mets, and he still seems to appear uh, at Met promotional events like he did in May when uh, I saw him there. But Jill Youngblood, uh, all-star in 1981. Actually in Cleveland, if I remember. I believe uh, I believe it was in Cleveland Memorial Stadium or whatever that old old place was called where the, I think that all-star game was. Uh, All-Star in 81, baseball history by slapping a base hit for two different teams in one day in 1982, and an Unformidable New York Met. Certainly for me, and uh, hopefully for all of us. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Uh, please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow AmazonAvenue Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a review. It really helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, and the show is at Unformidable. Tonight, uh, let's go Pete. Uh, Tomorrow, let's go NL. And always, let's go Mets.